So it's Fourth of July weekend here in America, and what that means around here is you've got a million things that you can do that are out of the ordinary and unusual and specific to this time of the year. And so thank you, whether you're watching us online or whether you're here live, thank you for choosing to worship and honor God with your time and presence with us here this morning. Uh, we know there's a, a million things you could be doing, and thank you for choosing to put God first for this block of time. Why do we celebrate 4th of July? You know what? It goes all the way back to 1776. The Second Continental Congress decided to ratify the Declaration of Independence, where the 13 colonies said, after a brutal war, they said, no more are we going to be under your control or your authority to the country of uh, Britain. That independence that came for those 13 colonies that resulted in our 50 states came at a tremendous cost. I looked it up this week. 8,000 Continental soldiers lost their lives. 16,000 died from wounds or or illness after the fact. Another 20,000 were taken prisoner, and uh, no one knows for sure what happened to them. The price of freedom always seems to come at the cost of human lives. It always seems to come at the cost of human lives, and usually it's somebody else's life. So we've been the last few weeks talking about the basics of Christianity. And so today we're going to talk about freedom because that's the weekend that we're in. We're, we're celebrating our freedom as a people and as a nation. But I don't want to talk about our freedom as a country. I want to talk about our freedom as Christians. And they're a very, very different thing. Sometimes we become a new creation in Christ and we don't even completely understand what that means. It, it, we don't understand who we are or who we're supposed to be. So let's talk about it. So since that day... The July 4th, the day we set aside to celebrate our independence, this, this national celebration of freedom of ours has become a whole lot of different things. It's a freedom in this country that is often taken for granted and been abused by people who think that they're entitled to freedom and yet who have paid no price in obtaining their freedom. It seems so often that that's where things start falling off the rails is when people who have no understanding what freedom really means take it for granted and take it in a new direction. The same thing can be said for us as Christians. The freedom that we have in Christ, the freedom that we have as Christians, was also bought and paid for with a human life. It was bought and paid for with the very real human life and the death of Jesus for our sins and our salvation. And that's a very, very different thing in a lot of ways from the freedom that we celebrate in this country. So I want to get you thinking right off the bat, and I'm going to ask you a question. What does freedom mean to you? Whether it's as an American or as a Christian or just as a person in our world today, what does freedom mean? What does it mean when I say that you are a free man or a free woman? What does your freedom mean? What is it worth to you? You ever assigned a value to it? What would you trade for it? What would you give up for it? What are the things that you would be willing never to be able to do again in your lifetime for freedom? See, in our country, we have really, we've done some interesting things as a nation when it relates to freedom. But our freedom as Americans is not the same thing as our freedom as Christians. Today, as we gather for worship, we celebrate our freedom as Christians, as children of God. Tomorrow, We celebrate our freedom as Americans. They're not the same thing. And yet in politics in America lately, we have often muddied the waters to where suddenly it seems like they're the same. And yes, religion and politics have a place together. Our our faith should always lead and drive our politics. But today, this isn't a a discussion of politics or freedom as Americans. It's 
a conversation about our freedom as Christians. So our freedom as Christians is something that has been bought and paid for fully by Jesus and its inheritance that can never be taken away. Our freedom as Americans is always at risk. There's no guarantee that we're always going to enjoy the freedoms that we have. But as Christians, as children of God, that's a freedom that can't be taken away. So let's take a few moments and let's consider what does it mean to live in freedom as a Christian in a world where freedom means very different things to different people. If we asked everybody around us to talk about what freedom meant, freedom doesn't mean the same thing to all of us. Last week I talked about what it is to be a new creation, to be free in Christ. And I I used the word in, and I talked about how that has such a deep meaning, that small word. What does it mean to be in Christ, and what does it mean to have Christ in you? And I talked about how when we repent and we put our faith in Jesus, when we submit our lives to him, we become a new creation. And we had baptisms a few weeks ago, and I talked about how when someone goes into the water, the old self dies in the water, and a new creation comes out of the water. We talked about that first breath. That first breath is a new creation. So we got another photo. Uh, Chris is actually here this morning. There's the one we didn't ask permission for, Chris. Thanks for posing. You had no idea you were doing that, but nice job. That's the first breath celebration of a new creation. Have you felt? Yeah, you can clap for that. Absolutely. Do you know what it is to be a new creation in Christ? Do you know what freedom in Christ means for you? Do you understand what that really is all about? Paul writes to the new believers in Ephesus, and and he kind of begins to give an introduction, and he says, what do we do now? Put on your new nature, created to be like God, truly righteous and holy. When you submit your life to Jesus, you say, Jesus, I'm going to live for you now. I'm not going to keep living for me. I made a mess of my life. I want to live for you. When we become a new creation, the old us dies, and we become a new creation. And the only one that is ever going to have the ability to resurrect the old you that dies when God creates in you a new person is you. You are the one who's going to resurrect the old you. But God's plan for us is that we become a fully new creation. And so to be created, we're created to be like God, truly righteous and holy. Freedom is a very different thing when we realize that our freedom has been bought and paid for by someone else so that we are free to be like someone else. That's what he's talking about. Free to be like God. In America, we're told you get to be free to be whatever you want to be, whoever you want to be. You go ahead and slice and dice it however you want. You can be what you want to be. As Christians... We have freedom in Christ in order to be more like Jesus, to be like God. So I started thinking about it, and I, I, I went to the Internet and started looking for uh, what it is that, that is our happiness. What is our freedom indicator? What is the, the thing that, that we've got more than any other country in the world? And so Gallup is the company that does all the surveys. And they have a happiness index. Did you know that? You've been surveyed for a happiness index, if not directly, as a part of the population. Here's what I found out. In terms of depression and happiness, we are more depressed and more unhappy today than at any time since they started doing the survey. Now, we have more freedoms. We've been told we can do more of what we want. We can be whoever and whatever we want to be, but it doesn't make us happier. We're no happier. In fact, we're less happy and we're more depressed. Clearly, there's something wrong with our understanding of freedom. 
This stuff that's supposed to make us feel good and be all that we're supposed to be and all the rest of it, we're more stressed out, we're more depressed, and we're less happy than we've ever been. That does not sound like freedom to me. However, in his love for us, God has a very different understanding of freedom. Paul tells us some of that plan that God has in Romans 12, starting in verse 2. Don't copy the behavior and customs of this world. So imagine what you're hearing in the news. Imagine what you're being told by the culture around you. If you're a kid in school, imagine the pressure that you're under. Paul is speaking to a world that's not too different from that. He says, don't copy the behavior and the customs of this world. But let God transform you into a new person, to a new creation, by changing the way you think. Then you will learn to know God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. That's God's plan for us. That's the beginning of freedom in Christ. God allows us to choose whatever it is that we want. And it seems choosing the freedom that we're choosing as Americans is only digging a bigger hole. We're getting more depressed and we're getting less happy. See, God's plan is to follow His will for our lives. Living in God's will lives to the true freedom that we were created for. Uh, Last week I mentioned Colossians 3, and I talked about how it's kind of Paul's instruction book for living as a Christian. And, And in it, Paul lists a number of things that we should avoid once we become believers. And then starting in verse 12, he makes a turn. And the turn that he makes is he starts talking about the things that we should do. Here are the things that you should do as a new creation in Christ. Starting in 12, since God chose you to be the holy people he loves, you must clothe yourselves with tender-hearted mercy, kindness, humility, gentleness, patience. Make allowance for each other's faults and forgive anyone who offends you. Remember, the Lord forgave you, so you must forgive others. Above all, clothe yourselves with love, which binds us all together in perfect harmony. And let the peace that comes from Christ rule in your hearts. For as members of one body, you're called to live in peace and always be thankful. That word clothe gets used twice, and the, and the translation is best understood as to choose to put on, to wear. When he says clothe yourself, clothe yourself it, it's choose to put on, choose to go out in public wearing these things. Most of us spend a, a good amount of time in the morning thinking about what we're going to wear. Well, I've got this meeting, I've got this appointment, I'm going to see these people. We think about how to dress to, to meet the day most appropriately. But I wonder how many Christians think about clothing ourselves with the thing that Paul, things that Paul talks about. Putting on the things of God like tender-hearted mercy, kindness. Humility, gentleness, patience. That passage reminds me of, of the passage that Paul describes, the results of a believer being filled with the Holy Spirit. What, what is that believer going to look like? How are we going to appear to others in the world? What are we going to sound like? How are we going to act? And if you've ever wondered whether you're living in a way that God looks for in a believer who's filled with the Holy Spirit, And the Bible says when we repent and believe and submit our lives to Jesus, God gives us the gift of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit begins to dwell in us. And it begins to change us into that new creation that God promises that he'll create in us. Now remember, if you're not feeling like the new creation, the only one that can resurrect the old you is you. You're the only one that can bring that person back to the forefront. Because God, through his Holy Spirit, creates a new creation in you. And what Paul says is that new creation Christian begins to exhibit the qualities and the characteristics that Paul's talking about. 
So Galatians 5, 22, 23. But the Holy Spirit produces. And if you're a believer in Jesus, if you've accepted him as your Lord and Savior, you have the Holy Spirit in you. This is what God wants to come out of and to live in us. But the Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. There is no law against these things. No religious law and no civil law. There is freedom in these things and there is life in these things. If we're going to talk about truly being free in Christ, these are the things that should start to define us and the way that other people see us. Paul's taught about the dangers of spiritual pride and divisions in the church and arrogance and and marriage. And he's talked a lot about what to avoid. But he makes this wonderful turn into what to seek, what to chase after, what to choose to become. And so think about it. Have you ever been angry with someone because they had too much patience with you? Ever been angry with someone because you're constantly forgiving me for every rotten thing I do for you? You ever had anger with someone because they were too kind? Have you ever sat someone down and said, we need to have a conversation? You are too tender-hearted. Against these things, there's, there's no law. These are the things that should be coming out of us. And yet, there are people who actually get upset about folks who exhibit the fruit of the Spirit. And those people who get angry, who get frustrated, who get, they say stuff like, it's not the real world, you're not even living in the real world. Do you not understand where we live or what's going on around you? Yeah, but I've got this joy of Jesus in me and this is just how I feel. And they get angry about it. There are people who do that. They're not living in the light of God's grace. When, when we live in the fruit of the Spirit, we're living in God's plan for our lives. So the idea of fruit is, not surprisingly, a good example. Uh, in Jesus' day, it would have been fruit like a fig tree. There would have been a lot of other fruit trees, uh, olive trees all over the place. If you've got a fruit tree, you know that when it gets to a point, even if you ignore it, say we'll have an apple tree, even if you ignore the thing, there's a pretty good chance that it's going to start to grow apples. The problem is, is that most of those apple trees don't grow apples that you can eat without some trouble because to grow a good fruit tree takes a little bit of effort. If you prune it, if you get rid of the dead branches and the non-producing parts of it, if you feed it, if you water it, if you help protect it from insects and diseases, it produces a lot of good fruit. And so in the example here, a fruit tree, like people, produces good fruit with active effort. You want to live as the new creation that God says that you become? Then we have to join with God and work on it. We have to not resurrect the old self, and we have to become the new creation that God makes in us through the Holy Spirit. So living out the fruit of the Spirit helps us to understand life and true freedom, because true freedom is because of what Jesus has done for us. It's freedom from guilt. See, God doesn't want you to feel guilty. God wants you to know that you're loved and forgiven. But the enemy of God wants you to feel guilty because it could hold us down. It's freedom from addiction. It's freedom from discouragement and disappointment and unhappiness. Freedom from anger and and harmful habits. And when we turn to the fruit of the Spirit, and what we begin to see in ourselves is God's freedom for us. And none of those hurtful, painful, self-defeating things even exist. 
And so when people say, do you even understand the world you live in? You can say, I do. I understand the world I live in, but I also understand the place that I'm going. Because freedom isn't just something that a Christian enjoys here and now on earth. Freedom is something that we have to look forward to for our whole eternity. Paul goes on in Galatians and he says it even gets better. Verse 24, those who belong to Christ have nailed the passions and desires of their sinful nature to his cross and crucified him there. When we are are baptized, our old self dies and God makes in us a new creation. Since we're living by the Spirit, let us follow the Spirit's leading in every part of our lives. Let us not become conceited or provoke one another or be jealous of one another. That should be life for us in the family of a Christian church. We should be showing and exhibiting and feeling those things for each other. But you know, in, in all the years, 11 and a half years that we've had this church, that we've been able to do the ministry God has called us to, an awful lot of you have come to this place hurting. You've come hurting because you've been kicked out of other churches, you've been shamed out of other churches, you've been run out of other churches, or you have just been unloved out of other churches. Thank you, if that's you, thank you for giving God another chance in this place. Because that's not what God wants the church to be. When, when we hear critical and gossiping and slandering and angry and rude and, and arrogant Christians, those folks are not living in the fruit of the Spirit. That's not living in the freedom that God has for us. Those kind of things and those ways of talking about other people do not come from God. They do not bring people to God and they do not glorify God. Those are the fruit of human pride and arrogance and spirit of religiousness. And yet we hear Christians doing those very things to each other. There's not a worse witness in the world to the death and the resurrection of Jesus. And you guessed it. Paul talks about this too. Romans 7.15, Paul says, and maybe you can relate to this. Paul says, I don't really understand myself. For I want to do what's right, but I don't do it. Instead, I do what I hate. Can you relate? Again, he says, I don't really understand myself. For I want to do what is right, but I don't do it. Instead, I do what I hate. I think Paul knows himself and all of us pretty well. Most of us want to do what's right, but we end up doing the very thing that we say we don't want to do, the thing that we hate in other people, the thing that we point our finger at about them. And that's the thing that we end up choosing. There's an old hymn, and it it goes like this. I hear the Savior say, Thy strength indeed is small. Our strength to live the life of a Christian on our own is small at best. When someone is baptized, the third question I ask them, do you believe in the Holy Spirit and it is only through the Holy Spirit alive and at work in you that you can live the new life that you're committing to? We cannot do it on our own or we already would if we wouldn't need Jesus. I hear the Savior say, thy strength indeed is small. Child of weakness, watch and pray. Find in me thine all in all. Jesus paid it all. All to him I owe. Sin had left a crimson stain. He washed it white as snow. That describes the new creation after the old creation has gone. That's freedom. And we talk all kinds of stuff about freedom in this country. Fireworks don't really recognize freedom. All the things that we do, they're all fun. It's fun as Americans and and in a small town to have all the celebrations and and to have a day off of work. And and it's awesome. I'm glad that we get to do it. But it really doesn't describe true freedom. 
So, so this Independence Day, when you change up your routine to celebrate freedom, ask yourself this question. Do I really free, feel like I'm living free in Christ? This is fun to be able to celebrate and looking forward to the parade and the fireworks and all the rest of the stuff. But do you feel like you're living free in Christ? Or does the Gallup survey that talks about being more depressed and stressed out and unhappy describe you more? Do you feel this year that you're living free in Christ? If you're not, Paul's words to the Philippian church might help. (coughs) To live the freedom that we're given in Christ Jesus, he says this. Then you must have the same attitude that Jesus Christ had. Jesus Christ, who always lived in the fruit of the Spirit, who always treated people with those words that there is no law for. And that freedom goes on for eternity. So when you celebrate our nation's freedom this weekend, that nation's freedom, which could be taken away, which is not guaranteed, pause and be grateful for the freedom that you have in Christ. Because the freedom that you have in Christ was bought and paid for by the death of Jesus for you which is a freedom that can never be taken away. And that freedom doesn't just give you life here on earth in this lifetime. It is a freedom that extends to all of eternity. Are you living as someone who is free in Christ? My last statement is this, Jesus, thank you for freedom. Thank you for true freedom in you. Let's pray. God, as we stop and celebrate, we live in an area that is just... Really pretty fun to celebrate the 4th of July. There are so many people that pour so much into so many things. There are different things and places and opportunities that we get to have and experience and go to. Uh, We have beautiful lakes. We've got water all around us. God, it's just an awesome time to stop and to, to have a reason to celebrate. But this year, God, this year, put it on our hearts through your Holy Spirit to consider what true freedom is. True freedom that can never be taken away by anyone at any time. The freedom that we have in Christ, not because of who we are or because of what we do, but because of what he has done for us, the new creation that he has made in us, that you send your Holy Spirit to us to be able to live in, where our old self with all of our old stuff dies, and we become alive in Christ as a new creation, truly, truly free. In Jesus' name, amen.